If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Hi, I'm Tammy Zonker, Major Gifts Strategist and AFP Master Trainer. Now we know creating a needle-moving fundraising plan that gets results is not easy, but it is possible. It is your time to shine, and I am thrilled to extend a game-changing invitation to you to enroll in my risk-free Intentional Fundraising Plan Masterclass. Now let me give you a sneak peek of what awaits you inside the Masterclass. First, a strategic and achievable fundraising plan, starting with a comprehensive assessment of your current position, your data. Next, a process for establishing clear goals and prioritizing strategies for real results, including what you should stop doing. Next, we'll strengthen your organization's fundraising foundation, annual fund, major gifts, plan giving. We'll also evaluate the risks and ROI of emerging technologies like behavioral modeling, prospecting for donor advice funds, video and text messaging, automated email marketing, just to name a few. And then we'll look at building a high-performance development team with a structure for accountability and reporting. The Intentional Fundraising Plan Masterclass is not your average training. It is a six-week journey where I work with you step-by-step to create a custom, diversified, data-informed, human-centered annual fundraising plan. If you are ready to create your ultimate annual fundraising plan for 2024, don't wait. Click the link to learn more and enroll before doors close on January 14th. Today we're recording from the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference in beautiful San Diego, California where I'm talking to Natalie Monroe, who is charged with community engagement at Memory Fox. Natalie's story began in a tech hub in Silicon Valley, where her love for agriculture and farm-to-fork movements was ignited during her college years at UC Davis. After college, Natalie found her calling in the nonprofit sector, where she became captivated by the stories of veterans-turned-farmers. She was on a mission to share the inspiring tales of those who had served their country and now were serving it again by feeding it. I love that story. And this phase in her career became her most meaningful yet. Natalie is a firm believer in the power of effective communication and kindness in all interactions. She is dedicated to building honest relationships and has earned the title of people broker in her circle of friends, thanks to her knack for connecting people and fostering meaningful conversations. When she's not crafting stories, you'll often find Natalie volunteering at her local library, promoting the joy of reading in her community, or she might be deep in thought planning her next themed gathering, which is sure to be unforgettable. Natalie, welcome to the show. 
Tammy, it is so special to be here with you. And what an intro. My goodness. Thank you so much for all that. Well, I want to hear all the backstories because you're so interesting. And I think we might share a passion for a couple things. Literacy, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And taking care of people. Like themed parties. I do a brunch every Sunday, which... Every Sunday. Every single Sunday. You go, girl. <laughs> I've become a little famous for it on, on Instagram. We'll swap some recipes and talk some themes. Let's please. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference, which is super exciting. It is. Start by telling us what inspired you to create your storytelling conference session titled Give Your Community a Voice. Unleashing visual stories for 360 degree stewardship. You know, I have to say, first of all, it's such a thrill to get the chance to speak because just last year in San Antonio was my first nonprofit storytelling conference. I came as an attendee. I had just moved on from that role telling stories at Former Veteran Coalition that you just so did a lovely job of highlighting here. And I was trying to figure out what was next for me, but I knew that. After having tuned into this community through Tactical Thursdays weekly, I just felt so welcomed and embraced by all these storytellers and just incredibly warm personalities. And so I came to the conference trying to navigate my way forward in the nonprofit world and met so many wonderful people. But it's hard to believe that not only at that last conference did I find end up meeting my current employer, but now to come back and get to be here in a speaking role is just farther than I could have ever dreamed possible. So to talk about what I'm going to be speaking on, I was, as I said, at Farmer Veteran Coalition, I very actively told stories to start out my three years there, written stories. So words on paper of these really incredible men and women who had gone off once to serve the United States defending it, many of them in combat, and came home really trying to figure out how do we reintegrate into the civilian world? A lot of them just lacking purpose, lacking direction. You know, their roles in the military are so mission driven. And for a lot of them, that's what they're challenged by when they come home is not having that new mission. Yeah. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Mm. And so we found that agriculture became such a great new purpose for them. There's many reasons for that. For one, having your hands in the dirt can be very healing and therapeutic. There are studies that have proven this. Also, I think for them, there's something to growing life and feeding communities. Many of them, especially when you think of this post 9-11 all-volunteer military, they are so service-oriented and service-minded. And so it's just a natural segue for them to come home and do something to, to serve their community again. And this time it's in growing food for them and feeding them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I was telling these stories, writing just very gripping tales that almost wrote themselves. I had to do very little to put these together. As I got through about a year of written stories, I felt like I wanted a different way to tell these stories. I felt like I wanted to tell it through our community's own voice. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what if I dabble with visual storytelling, meaning allow them to express it through their own voice in the form of video shares or photo testimony? And so I kind of navigated this journey of uh, having a few challenges, a few successes with that. I can tell you in a couple quick examples that the first way I tried was two years ago was the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And powerful, powerful. On that note, for so many of these veterans, I would say majority of our members, that day was the reason they chose to join the military. Mm. For those who were already serving, it was a way for them to have a completely changed trajectory of their military career. And so 
I thought, gosh, maybe this would be a great moment for them to have the chance to reflect back on 20 years later what that day meant. So I put out a call for some videos and seven people came back with really powerful testimonies that all woven together made for a very impactful piece. However, those seven were the same that were very frequently engaging with us, which is great. But we also had 30,000 members across the country. And so I didn't feel like that was totally representative of the people that we served. Sure. Now, fast forward two months after that to Veterans Day, and I thought, okay, our team chose instead of using that as a day to fundraise, we thought let's use it as a day to honor our collective members' time of service. And I thought if we could ask them to send in a photo of themselves in military uniform, just a single photo, and if I could get about 100 of them, it would make for a very beautiful web page of all of these photos from different military eras, different branches, collection of faces. Yeah, I'm envisioning this mosaic of these men and women in uniform, really beautiful. And that's exactly what I had in mind. Okay. Now, I thought perhaps our community doesn't like to engage with this. I already tried it through the 9-11 videos with not a lot of success. And maybe they're just too busy to do this or it's not something they're comfortable with. But I put out a call anyway, just trying something because you don't know until you experiment. So I put out a call for these photos and I was so overwhelmed when 800 landed back in my inbox. Wow, that's incredible. 800 photos. And not only did it make just the most incredible collage, this mosaic, as you said, yes. of photographs, but something really magical happened. And that was in them coming back with their email, attaching the photo in the body of the email, hundreds of them, literal hundreds of these veterans said, thank you for remembering us. Thank you for recognizing what this day is supposed to be about and not forgetting us. Yeah. And that really became a turning point for me and realizing this visual storytelling that I wanted to experiment is not just for our donors. This is to steward our entire community and to give a voice to the people that we serve. Because isn't this the whole reason that our mission exists? Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like, like I'm teary-eyed. Just the expression, the acknowledgement, and then what that meant to them is so powerful. And even if there were thousands more that didn't reply, perhaps they also felt that acknowledgement. Oh. It's so true. In fact, we had some come back after that website went public saying, I would really love for my photo to be included in this as well. And so you just don't know how you're going to uplift your community until you realize what really is meaningful to them. Yeah. And I had no idea that was going to be the response to that. But once I started to understand that these people felt forgotten about and there were very simple ways that we could elevate their voices, this was what consumed me full time. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And, you know, we've had the privilege of talking with several of the speakers in this series of podcast conversations from the Storytelling Conference. And a reoccurring theme that I've heard over and over again today is don't choose for people. Don't choose for the volunteer that we couldn't possibly ask them to also make a contribution financially. Don't choose for the donor who's already a monthly donor that they wouldn't want to make an additional one-time gift for a special campaign. And what I'm hearing from you is also don't, in this case, don't choose for our military veterans. Put the call out there, invite them, and let them choose. Don't say, gosh, you know, we only had seven responses before. It must not be something they want to do. Or they've already done so much. I don't know if I should ask them to do this again. But that invitation had them feel seen and heard and remembered. Oh, 
That's exactly it. And you've touched on many important communities because this is true with your donors, with volunteers, with all the people that you serve, your beneficiaries, your constituents, staff, even letting staff have a voice too. That's important to make them feel connected to the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And I think I'll drive that point home by saying after that Veterans Day feature, two weeks later was Giving Tuesday. And again, I had just been at a conference where these ideas were circulating about how much more money comes in in the last week of the year as compared to Giving Tuesday as a single day. So perhaps we use Giving Tuesday as a day of gratitude for our community to launch into that year-end yeah. ask. Yeah. I loved this idea because it always felt like, how do we piece Giving Tuesday with our year-end appeal? So this is what we decided to try out. And what I did is I approached these farmer veterans that we give a grant to in the form of a piece of farm equipment. And I asked if they would take a selfie video on their farm with a piece of farm equipment sitting behind them, kind of a little show and tell. Yeah explain what they were awarded through the grant, how it's made them more efficient on their farm, and ultimately a few words of thanks. Again, I thought, maybe I'm burdening them by disrupting their very hectic farm chore day and asking them to take the time to film this video. But again, I wanted to try to elevate these voices. And I was, again, so surprised when more than a dozen, almost two dozen of them, were so enthusiastic to film this thank you, but also several of them said thank you for the opportunity to say thank you, which I couldn't believe that. So cool. <laughs> Here I was thinking, oh, we're going to be able to share with donors some really great stories of impact. And in the end, it almost was more meaningful for the members to get the chance to have their voice heard. So they just needed that invitation yeah. to be able to feel a part of the conversation yeah. and feel included. Oh, Natalie, I love that. And so I have to ask the question. So choosing to focus on gratitude for Giving Tuesday. And obviously it was very meaningful for those who chose to share their stories, to share the gratitude of the impact of that grant. What happened to your year-end giving when it was focused on gratitude and stories leading up to an invitation to give? Right. Well, on Giving Tuesday alone, it felt really meaningful to get to share these stories of impact. We definitely had, I would say, basically the equal amount of success as prior Giving Tuesday. So it wasn't like just because we weren't making the ask, and that's, of course, important too, but it's yes. not like just because we weren't putting that language out there that we still weren't getting funding. Yeah. People were loving these stories that they were hearing and coming in to contribute more, maybe a little bit less than prior years, but roughly the same. Amazing. And I think it just launched into a, a really meaningful year-end season. It's true, that very last week of the year, I remember the last day of the year, a really big check coming in. And, you know, it's hard to maybe pinpoint what the exact cause of that was. Was it because we led with gratitude or was it just that's how the year happened to unfold? But I think our team felt good about the stewarding we were doing, not just for donors, but ultimately stewarding our entire community. And I didn't know it at the time. It took me looking back this year to realize that's for me when this idea of 360 degree stewardship was born. Yeah. And now I can put a name to it. And now I can share some language around it. But that really was the birth of all of that. Wow. That's powerful. Honestly, I feel like it's a brand new concept to, you know, our collective conversation about how to grow and retain donors, how to acknowledge and engage the people who participate in our programs, who may very well be donors or volunteers or give in some way in addition to their generous stories that they're sharing. And the gratitude that they're expressing that we can amplify. And certainly, as you mentioned, even staff members 
allowing them to share their story, why it's meaningful to do this work, why it's not just a job. I love this whole concept of 360 degree stewardship. And I'd say for donors, if we just focus on donors as a subset of our population, it goes two ways for them, too. I don't know what most people think, but for me, when I think of donor stewardship, it's coming back to the donor and telling them, hey, here's some stories of impact. Here's what we were able to do with the funding that you gave us. And isn't this wonderful? That is great. I am a huge advocate of that. There's also the flip side, which is going to the donor and asking for their story. Every unique donor has an origin story with your organization. And those reasons can vary across the board. But if you just put the question out there and ask, hey, why is our mission meaningful to you? Why do you give to us? Why is it important to stay connected to our organization? What impact has this made on you or your family's lives? Yeah. You're going to get some really incredible stories that you may not have been anticipating unless you ask. I've been there. We had somebody who donated monthly and we never knew their origin story until we added that field to our donation form. I will never forget a story I heard of an organization, I think in Southern California, I don't recall who it was exactly, but I know they dealt with substance abuse Mm -hmm. and working with people in those arenas. And every Friday, a man walked in to the front office and handed the receptionist a $10 bill. And they never knew why he was coming in every Friday to give this $10 bill until somebody had the initiative to ask. And when they asked him, he said, my son passed away from a drug overdose and $10 was his weekly allowance when he was a kid. Oh. And so I'm donating his allowance to this organization because I never want another family to have to go through that same pain that I suffered. Unless you ask, you're not going to hear those really moving stories that I think propel you to do better work and help you serve your community better. Yeah. So beautiful. So beautiful. And If anyone who heard that story ever felt like, gosh, my $10, my $20, even my $100 won't make a difference, I think that dispels that, right? Every gift means something. Collectively, with others, it really moves the needle. I love that story on so many levels. Uh, And you totally got me tearing up, so stop that. (laughs) Actually, don't stop that. Keep (laughs) it coming. right. Let's just talk about visual stories such as video and photographs. They play a pivotal role in engaging and empowering community to share their stories. So tell me about the work that you're doing now at Memory Fox and how you equip and empower nonprofit organizations to tell those stories, to capture those stories, to retrieve and share those stories. This is one of my favorite stories to tell, especially at this nonprofit storytelling conference. And the reason for that is because. Last year, as I mentioned, I was a first-time attendee. And on day two, I was just wandering the exhibit hall, again, in a space that I had just moved on from Farmer Veteran Coalition, trying to figure out what was next for me in a very meaningful nonprofit space. And I was being very intentional about what I was choosing to go into next. And as I wandered the exhibit hall, I saw the Memory Fox team. I'd never heard of Memory Fox. They had an adorable backdrop with foxes camped around the campfire (laughs) telling camp stories. And I thought, what is that? And I walked up to the booth and the team there showed me the tool, which is a way to very organically and authentically collect video and photo testimony from all the people within your community. And my jaw nearly hit the floor because this was so closely tied to what I had just been doing. But I was doing it in a way that was, you know, I talk about the 800 email day, 800 emails landed and 
it, I say it was overwhelming in two senses, overwhelming in the most wonderful way and beautiful way to get to celebrate all of these veterans. Yeah. But then on the flip side, overwhelming in the sense that I had to frantically spend the next two days to get to Veterans Day in time, saving, cropping these photos and then building them into a public facing web page. You didn't sleep. Uh, that's true. <laughs> I actually did not sleep for two straight days. <laughs> and, but we still got to publish this amazing piece. So it made it all worth it. When I saw this Memory Fox tool, that was the first project I thought of that would have been done in hours. Yeah. And so I just couldn't believe the alignment there. And guess what? I went home and a short month later joined the team. And so now day in and day out, I get to talk visual storytelling with our customers and our nonprofits that we work with to figure out how can they do this same kind of stewarding and what great creative angles can they think of to use storytelling to not just show impact, but do things like educate and help them get more grant funding and really just collect some very powerful testimony and ultimately elevate those voices. And just as I experienced with the veterans, finding ways to make their community feel seen and heard and like their voice really matters. Beautiful. Share with our listeners some advice around the perfect length of video. If there's a format or a framework for capturing powerful stories, do you believe in giving sentence stems or prompts for people to respond to. How do we effectively create, and, and you've talked about how you secured the videos, but how do you empower and equip people to share their stories in a powerful way? Yes. And these are the questions we hear all the time of, okay, great. I believe that video is powerful. I know that it's now the most consumed media. And, you know, think about Gen Z, they practically do it in their sleep. Isn't this how they communicate with each other is through video? Yes. So I don't think there's any denying that video is powerful. You know, I could rattle off all sorts of stats, but I don't need to. The fact is, I think it still feels hard to approach it. Like, who do I interview? Who do I collect from? Does it need to be some big produced piece? And then where do I publish it? But really, we have found, and, and this is what the tool is so powerful for, that authentic content is what resonates the most with people. It does not have to be some big produced piece. In fact, it makes it more consumable. It also makes your community more willing to engage, knowing that we don't have to do this two to three minute in length Oscar worthy acceptance speech. <laughs> it just needs to be short, quick snippets. Yeah. And we like to say that the call to action is probably the biggest prompter in getting people to engage. So what are you asking them to do? Keeping it short and simple and straightforward is my biggest recommendation. But when you think about content, I mean, 30 seconds is all you need. And that can be a really impactful piece. In fact, you could say the same thing in 10 seconds, and it's also very impactful. So yes, maybe asking a pointed question to help build the cadence of what you're trying to get them to share is great. Also, like you said, we always recommend starting with the beginning of a sentence as a prompt and letting them fill in the rest. Because sometimes it's hard for them to start from scratch if you just say, share how this transformation has made you better, that might be tough. Or share what this program means to you, that could be tough. But if you start them out by saying, this program has impacted me because, or the one thing I've learned by participating in this program is, yeah. you might see that they're going to be able to come to you with a lot easier answer. And from there, you take five of those 10-second snippets and weave them into one longer piece, and you're going to get something really powerful. The thing I compare it to all the time is, I don't know if you've ever seen the stand-up to cancer that the MLB, Major League Baseball does. Yes. And all it is, is somebody holding up one single sign that says, I stand up to cancer for, and it's a big blank space where they write in somebody's name, somebody in their life 
that they've lost or that's currently fighting the disease. And you see it in mass with thousands of people holding up this sign. And that is overwhelming, isn't it? To see a huge crowd. It's so moving. And so it's the same thing. You prompt your community with the same prompt and you get five different perspectives, five different takes on that. And all of a sudden you have a really incredible array of viewpoints and perspectives to represent all the different facets of your community. Beautiful. As a storyteller and a marketer and fundraise like on and on and on, right? Because most of our listeners and a lot of us, we've worn so many hats through our career and could presently be wearing many, many hats. So I'm curious from all of those vantages, your point of view on consent and managing consent, because consent, A, is more than a form. We know that. And B, because I say yes now doesn't mean I say yes forever. So just talk to us about your point of view and your experience with managing consent for these stories. This is another thing that we talk about a bit with customers. And you're right. It's not always a form, but that is a good starting point. Yes. And what I love about the Memory Fox tool is that's actually built into the whole storytelling journey. So consent is a piece of that, that before somebody can ultimately submit this video they filmed or a photo they want to send in, they must select the yes box to consent to what they're agreeing to be then publicly shared. Yeah. So that's great. I also think that because we're allowing somebody to tell their own story through their own words, that is a whole nother level of consent. They're choosing what they get to say. So it's almost like by giving them the platform, handing over the mic to them, we're letting them share their story in the most authentic way possible that they know it to be to them. And that is different from us taking their words and maybe an interview and writing it in a way that with all good intention is representative of them, but surely going from person A to person B, there's going to be some translation there. Sure. So I think those are two layers that are really important. But ultimately, there are still other considerations. Oftentimes, there are nonprofits who work with communities that need to have their privacy protected or some le level of confidentiality uh, for good reason. And as you said, sometimes just because somebody shared a story with you once doesn't mean that they want it shared forever. So in those cases, I really lean into the experts. There's a lot of experts in this field or maybe not a lot, but there are a good handful who are really doing deep dives into this space because they know how important this work is. And I defer to their judgment because they are the ones who know it the best. And I am still learning actively every day about what does it mean to be a good steward of that story, especially when there is some level of ethical storytelling that comes into play. Yeah, it's good. And I often quote Dr. Maya Angelou when she said, when we know better, we do better. And I think that's very true in storytelling and respecting and telling those ethical stories and honoring people. And so the more that we learn, the more the practices change. And that's why I like having these conversations and having those go-to experts where we're like, gosh, this feels like gray area. Or, you know what, we haven't really looked at this consent, our approach to consent and ethical storytelling in a while. And we should touch base. Like, what are the current conversations? What are the current trends? So, yeah, it's good to have those go-to experts for sure. And we've certainly interviewed a number of them here on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, um, Shantara McBride. And, oh, my gosh, we'll have to include some of the links to the other great speakers that we've interviewed in the show notes. So if anyone wants 
And if you've got some go-to people that you want us to link to, let us know that, Natalie. Yeah, and I know just right off the bat, Diana Farias Heinrich, who is speaking at this conference. In fact, I think she's speaking as we're talking right now. (laughs) She is one of the experts in this field, and I respect the work she's done because she is the one who actually opened to my eyes, in fact, through a Tactical Thursday tied to this conference that she did about just because somebody gives us consent once doesn't mean we have it forever. And we need to go back to them to say, you gave us permission to share your story here in this brochure or this fundraising year-end appeal letter. But now we'd like to share it in a different form and fashion. And are you okay with that? Yeah. Just asking them, are you okay with that? And we talk about this all the time, too, is showing people, coming back to your storytellers and showing them the full circle impact of what them sharing their story allowed you to do. Even if it's just as simple as sharing a newsletter link or actually forwarding the email to them or sharing a social media link to say, hey, this is where we were able to take your really great testimony and share it with our entire community. That's going to help them understand how powerful it was in sharing that content with you. And ultimately, it gets buy-in that in the future, yes, I might be willing to share my story again, because kind of like we talked about with donors, you're stewarding their dollars. Here, you're just stewarding the story. Yeah, I love that. And whether that outcome or what they help create, like they're trying to recruit foster parents, you telling your story of being a foster parent. Like inquiries to becoming foster parents has increased 15% in the last quarter. That's right. And there's such a big shortage of foster parents. Thank you. Or again, sharing your story in our year-end campaign, we've raised this much money, which will help us serve so many more families who have walked a similar path as you. And sometimes you. you don't know that, right? Sometimes you don't know. I think this is where nonprofit leaders get stuck is, okay, I know I need to come back and share the impact of the dollars or the story, but the work hasn't happened yet. Or it might not happen for six months or 12 months or two years. And so then what do you do? I think there's still something for saying this is what we intend to do with it, or this is what we're hoping to get out of this. We're hoping to attract more foster parents to the system. Yes. And maybe you don't know, but at least when they can anticipate what you're hoping is going to be the outcome, that is still something for them to latch on to, knowing that their story made a difference for what you potentially hope to get out of that. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Natalie, in your session, you mention dazzling and engaging more donors. So I love that. Dazzling and engaging. Could you provide more practical tips for our listeners on how to dazzle and engage through the use of visual storytelling? I think there is nothing like hearing the voice of the person who is tied to your organization straight through their own words. And that's why I started to latch onto this so closely, to be able to see the faces of your community, to be able to hear it through their own voice. It's just so much more powerful than either seeing it in a written form. There is always a need for that too. But when as much as you can hear something spoken through the person who lived the experience, That makes you as a donor see who is benefiting from this work. It's so easy to just give money and feel like I don't even know where it went. I don't even have a face of somebody that is tied to this on the output end. And I feel like you really create an ecosystem between the donor and the beneficiary when you can just even see somebody's face represented. Or if you can't show their face because you need to protect their privacy, I've heard really creative ways that organizations have filmed foster kids doing art projects with their hands. And so you show that impact still visually, but it's just there's something that we latch on to as very visual creatures 
that we have a reaction through all the senses when we can see something play out in front of our eyes. Yeah, I so agree. And I think there's power. Like you said, there is a role for the written appeal. There is a role for the email appeal. And maybe that email appeal includes a link to watch a video to hear firsthand. And so it's this layering. It's this multi-channel, multi-touch point that can really compel people to give their most generous gift or to feel the work. And there's that old saying, seeing is believing. I love that. Yeah. You are so right. When you see that person or you see their nervous hands as they're talking, whatever the case may be, you feel it more firsthand, no matter how gifted the person who writes that appeal is. You're right. It's going through a secondary person. It is filtered in so many ways. And so I just think, again, to your point, hearing firsthand is the best. Yes. Filtered. It's it's kind of like back in grade school when you played telephone. (laughs) Yes. It's inherently going to go through a change, some different rendition to end up differently from what it started as because you're never hearing it from the mouth of the person who said it to begin with. Yeah. I love your example of including these visual stories in an appeal letter. You can do both. You can do a combination of written word and a visual story. And what's so great about the world we live in now is there are multiple ways to distribute this. So sure, you can send out an email letter or some electronic form of this appeal letter, and it can be written text Mm -hmm. with a link to a story right there that somebody can click and watch. But you can also do this in a mailed appeal letter. And this is something that I, at the end of my time doing fundraising at Farmer Veteran Coalition, really grew to love was sending out our appeal letter with a QR code because we know QR codes had a resurgence during COVID and everybody uses them now. It's the best thing that ever happened to the QR code (laughs) was the pandemic. At least that's one good thing that came out of it. (laughs) One good thing. (laughs) So you just stick a QR code that is a link to a story or to a page that maybe has a collection of three to five stories, but it doesn't have to be three to five. One story on its own can mean so much to somebody to watch. And that's a really easy way to supplement the words on the page with a link to something that they can go then watch on their own time. Yeah, I love that. I also love that the link to the video, to the story, is something I can share, right? I can send it to my friend who I know is also passionate about this cause. Yes. I can share it with my adult kids, right? They're just, it's when a story is sticky and it's moving, we want to share it. We want people to feel what we feel or their version, feel what they feel about it. And it's just a wonderful, it's really hard for me to share the printed direct mail piece. That's right. Right. Unless someone stops by. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that. So we can really dazzle and engage more people just by sharing more stories direct from the person's, whomever that person may be, right? programmatic participant, a volunteer who was moved and inspired. Maybe they were a tutor for the homework help, right? And they just grew to love their little person who went from struggling with math to being just stellar with it or struggled to read and now they won the spelling bee or, you know. So many great perspectives. Exactly. And that's how we really, I think, build our army of supporters and advocates that are then, as you said, going to go advocate on our behalf and spread our mission through the own work that they're doing just by talking to their community. And really, isn't that the best way to grow from the ground up is through those real 
personal recommendations. Yeah, it's so true. But I think it all comes back to starting with that authentic story. Yeah, beautiful. I'm sure our audience would love to hear more about some of the creative and successful campaign that you might be showcasing in your session, some more of those wonderful stories. Any other examples that you want to share today? Yeah, one I just love because I... Before I really joined the Memory Fox team, when I started to dabble myself with visual storytelling, my definition in my head was always one singular person sharing their own personal journey through video or photo representation. And of course, that is definitely a part of what visual storytelling can be. But I have really learned in working with some incredible organizations who are finding really creative and innovative ways to share their mission and all the facets of the work that they do through visual storytelling, it started to shape my perspective a little bit differently, or at least just expand what I believe visual storytelling to be. So I'll give you one example. Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, back when COVID started, they were starting to understand that their community had a lot of questions around the virus and the vaccine. And I think a lot of this was in their youth, middle school age students. So what they did is they asked them to film just on their device a quick video of them asking the question they had. And then Urban League took those question videos and shared them with trusted doctors in their community. And then the doctors filmed their responses on video. And ultimately, Urban League took the answers and, and the questions and wove them together into one cohesive piece that then they were able to educate out to thousands in their community all at once. Hmm. Now, Sure, they could have done the same exact thing through a text document, like an FAQ answer sheet. And it would have maybe had the same educational value. If I read it. If you... <laughs> Fair point. That's probably true. Do people read things anymore? So there is that. Maybe it wouldn't have been consumed. But there's also something to showing it through the faces and the voices of your own community. Yeah, And I think that was a really spectacular way and a very creative way to display that information in an educational sense. Yeah. And just so engaging. Yeah. I love that. It's a great example. All right. So lastly, yes. last official question. Okay. Oh, I'll be ready. <laughs> so thinking about your session, which can, again, congratulations. Thank you. Sounds like it's going to be amazing. What's the key takeaway you hope that the audience here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference and our listeners here on the podcast, will remember and implement to strengthen their community engagement efforts? Well, I have three that really, and, and they all Bonus. tie together, but yeah. I am charging people with, as I tie out the session, and I hope that some of the examples will really paint a picture for them of who in your community can you collect from. And I actually love what you said about some of those different personas, because I do touch on, you know, kind of the constellation wheel to quote Jen Love, yes. who did a session on that here this morning of who are those different perspectives you can collect from. And Tudor is a really phenomenal one that I might have to actually work oh, into good. the content because I hadn't thought of it. You know, you think of teachers, but Tudor is such a wonderful way to... Volunteer. Yes, absolutely. So I love that. But I ultimately want people to walk away thinking, how can I approach visual storytelling in my community? Who can I start to collect from? Number two, whose voices in our community is it really important for me to uplift? Yeah. And third... What would it look like to engage in 360-degree stewardship mm -hmm. within our community? What would that mean to the people that we work with? Wow. Wow. So good. Natalie, thank you. Thank you, Tammy. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So at the end of each episode, yes. we'd like to ask these rapid-fire questions. 
Bring it on. I am ready to do this. (laughs) Bring it. All right. Number one, what's the best fundraising or marketing advice that you've ever received? I have to say that when I was at Farmer Veteran Coalition, she wasn't our director of development, but she was a trusted fundraising advisor. She and her husband spent decades in Sacramento fundraising. And from what I understand, they coined the term friend raiser. Okay. So ultimately, fundraising is all about making friends. How do you build relationships, have real authentic connections with people to understand, again, why is it that they feel so compelled to be a part of your mission? And I think fundraising needs to start with friend raising. Yeah, I love that. And wholeheartedly agree. And I'm not surprised to hear that from what the relationship broker, the friend broker, (laughs) the people broker, people broker, (laughs) the people broker. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Well, The Generosity Crisis by Nathan Chappelle and Brian Crimmins. I heard so much talk around it last year and could not wait to get my hands on a copy. And when it finally showed up this past January, not only was it a phenomenal read, and I think every fundraiser, every nonprofit marketer, everybody in a nonprofit role needs to understand what would it look like in our world if nonprofits went away and what do we do to never make that happen? Yeah. But ultimately, it has some special meaning for me, too, because it kicked off a book club that now some nonprofit friends and I started. And we just love growing this community of anybody in the nonprofit world who feels compelled to read books that tie to our missions and tie to the work we do. We read quarterly and get to talk about it. But that book was such a special way to kick it off. And Nathan and Brian said their ultimate goal in writing this book was to have a book club start around it. So to see that come full circle unknowingly was just a very spectacular moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And we also interviewed both of them on the Intentional Fundraiser well, there you podcast. Go. That's so wonderful. So we'll be certain to include a link to that episode in the show notes. And I agree. I highly recommend that book. And I don't know about you. I felt like the first 100 pages were hard. Very hard. Because they talk about the problem. But the rest of the book was about the solution, about creating like radical, radical stewardship, right? And And it was hopeful and very approachable. Yes. Yeah. So if you pick up the book and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I feel like this is heavy, keep going. It does. It gets you to the end. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. What, What are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser or nonprofit marketer must possess? First of all, I think we need to be curious. And that goes into this idea of friend raising. It's understanding what makes people tick. Why are they here? What's, what do they want to know more about? What's going to keep them around and tied to us in a very meaningful way? So get real curious. My favorite way to be curious is to ask questions. And then to supplement that as a second one, when you ask the questions, you actually need to listen. Yeah. So being a good listener is huge. One of my favorite things I ever heard around being a good fundraiser is you should know before you even ask for any amount of money, you should know the donors, either their kid's name or their dog's name (laughs) or cats if you're a cat person, because I am. But any one of those. Yeah. That's how personal your relationship should be. So ask those questions to be curious, listen to the answers and ultimately some level of resolve that knowing not every answer is going to be a yes but that doesn't mean I stop. I need to keep trying to find the people that really are the ones who want to be a part of this mission with me. Yeah, I love that. And sometimes a no is a not now. That's right. Right? Yeah. All right. I love those. What's your favorite fundraising or communication application or tool? And it's okay to be shameless. (laughs) (laughs) And the only reason that I will is because 
I really and truly in my last role would have loved nothing more than to have had a way to easily collect the stories to then share them back out with everybody who needed to hear them. And so it, it, I had that moment at this conference last year of where was Memory Fox when I needed them most. Yeah. And so I've got to say, and, you know, my background is more in the communications and marketing side. Of course, that has everything to do with fundraising because at a nonprofit, we're all fundraisers. Yes. And if I'm the one putting out the language and the newsletters and the marketing content, that's going to involve some level of fundraising. But for me, the tool that would have made the difference and, of course, is now the reason why I joined the team because I believe in it so wholeheartedly yeah. is the Memory Fox tool. Yeah. When Honestly, when I hear you speak, even when we're online together, like I know and you're chiming in the chat or you're speaking, I really think of you as an evangelist for stories. Right? Thank you. Yeah. I love that title and I will represent it proudly. Yes. Yes, you do. You do. What's your favorite conference and why? The Nonprofit Storytelling Conference last year was my first nonprofit-specific conference. I had been to some agriculture-based conferences previously, mm -hmm. but this was at least in a physical space. I'd been to a lot of virtual conferences, but this one was my first in-person nonprofit conference, and I just think the community here is unmatched. Yeah. There's no way I could pick anything else that beats this because, as I was just talking about with Clay Buck yesterday, it feels like a conference meets a retreat, and it's just a really incredible space to be that you walk away with your heart feeling so full, fuller than you could imagine it feeling. Yeah. There is an intimacy and a sense of family, like a sense of connectedness. I agree. I've been privileged to be at nine of the 10 Amazing. nonprofit storytelling yeah, I did not conferences. know that was true for you. Yeah. And it's been incredible. Just incredible. You're going to have to share some really great memories. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Last question. Knowing what you know now about fundraising and marketing and storytelling, what would advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? So I prescribe to the one-to-one -one model, and I think I kind of made this term up, so let me explain what that means. But I believe for every ask we do of donors, we need to come back and share some story of impact with them. And I know there are other people in the field that say it should be a seven to one ratio. We should be showing gratitude seven times for every time we ask. And I'm sure there's a lot of good reason behind that. But I think it, that can feel really daunting to nonprofit leaders who wear a lot of hats and feel strapped for time and bandwidth and capacity. And so to me, I would have just stayed to that one to one model, meaning I put out a fundraising appeal, and before I even think about asking for money again, I better share some little snippet or story of either what we were able to do with that funding. It could be as simple as what we hope to do with it. It could even be, hey, we got 90% of the way to our goal, and we're looking forward to the next time we get to raise funds for this campaign. Yeah. But there needs to be some even distribution of asking and then coming back and sharing gratitude and updates. Yeah, I like that. That little story, that little story snippet around impact. You're even reminding me of a wonderful organization that I work with. They're a hospice organization, and they also have a grief camp for children and youth who are left behind. Oh, who what lost a special someone. environment for those kids. And so they do specific fundraising for the grief camp, and not just the camp, but the year-round access to free grief counseling. And so one of the things they do for their supporters is the day that the kids are loading onto the bus to go to camp, they're there with an iPhone, right? Not highly produced. That's right. <laughs> very organic, very authentic. And they're saying the kids are piling on the bus. 
Some are super nervous. Some are super excited. Lots in between. And this would not happen without you. Their healing journey is going to leapfrog ahead because of the next five days that you and others help make possible. And that you know what? That, video. Yeah. And that's all it takes. And I think there's something about you're providing a little bit of hope for those donors, but you're also letting their minds start to fill in those pieces of what are these kids going to get to experience over the next five days. And so there's something about letting their imaginations run wild. And sure, it'd be great if they can come back afterwards and show some of the great activities they got to do together. But there really is something special about not telling them, just kind of building that anticipation. Yeah. And letting their imagination fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. I love it. All right, Natalie, you're amazing. Thank Likewise, you. Tammy. <laughs> this has been so spectacular. Our first time in person together. What a way to kick it off I right love off it. the bat. Yes. Well, who knows what we'll cook up next. That's right. Some <laughs> great theme party, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. If you want to learn more about Natalie, Memory Fox, and how they can help you bring your mission to life with powerful stories, we've included links in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Yay! That was so much fun. It was fun. You did an amazing job on the prep. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.